Well, as I mentioned, this is the third time that Paul is specifically defending his apostleship by listing the kinds of things that he suffered, dealing with the things that he's wrestled with and had to, difficulties he had to go through. This is by far the most comprehensive list. And it's important for us to understand in the context what Paul's doing here. In fact, from verses 16 to 21, or I should say really specifically from 19 to 21, Paul is using some of the harshest sarcasm that is used in any of his writings. I mean, I like sarcasm. I think it's kind of fun, to be honest. But I mean, this is meant not for fun. This is Paul being harsh. He, he's, the situation is so serious that he wants to get these guys' attention. In fact, when Paul uh, begins to talk about these things, he says, look, uh, let no one think that I'm a fool, but if you do think I'm a fool, then let me speak like a fool. All right, fine. If you think so, I'm some sort of a foolish person, great. Think I'm a foolish person. But you guys listen to me. And when he says in verse 19, look, you put up with fools gladly since you yourselves are so wise, no one can read that as anything but sarcasm. That these Corinthian uh, believers, uh, being of a culture that put intellect almost above anything else and the ability to communicate intellect well, even above that, these guys are thinking, well, these guys have come in, and we know Paul's the one who told us about Jesus, but these guys come in, and they're pretty convincing, and these guys continue to say about Paul, Paul couldn't be sent from Jesus. He couldn't be a real apostle, because look at the lifestyle he's experienced, and listen to the way he speaks, and they're thinking, oh, yes, that's, that's quite true. Maybe, maybe we should doubt Paul, and so Paul's saying, this is getting serious. This is getting desperate. Now, remember, as we've been saying all through this last section of 2 Corinthians from chapter 10, we, we've seen Paul in defending his apostleship. He's not doing this because he wants to defend himself. He's doing this because he wants to defend the gospel. He knows that he's the one that, that Jesus chose to bring the gospel to Corinth. He knows that he's the one who's laid out exactly what the gospel is, what the gospel means, what it means to believe in Jesus. And he knows that that truth is under attack when he's under attack. And so he's defending himself not because he likes it or because he wants to do it, but because the gospel itself is at stake. And so when he says to them, you know, <clears throat> you put up with fools gladly because you're so wise, he's basically saying, listen, do you really think you're that smart? Do you, do you, are you really, really, do you think you're that clever that after you've been taught what's true, you can just kind of be convinced of something otherwise? And he says in verse 20, he, he wants these guys to understand <clears throat> The Corinthians understand exactly what these false teachers are doing. He says, look, you put up with it. If one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, you put up with it. If one takes from you, you put up with it. If one exalts himself in your presence, you put up with it. If someone strikes you in the face, you put up with it. He's not commending them here. He's saying, you guys will, will listen to somebody who manipulates you and abuses you and takes advantage of you, but you won't listen to me who's laid down my life for you. Now, this isn't the first time the false teachers have done this in a church. This isn't the first time Paul has had to deal with this in a church. He writes of a similar uh, situation in Galatians chapter 2. I'm quoting from the NIV here because I like the way it says it. In Galatians 2 verse 4 Paul talks about that this matter arose because some false believers 
had infiltrated our ranks to spy out the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. It's amazing how many people will preach freedom so that you'll become their slaves. Now, I hope you guys hear from us, and if you don't hear this from us, if you don't get this message from us, if it's not resonating with you, I apologize. I really do. Because our desire is to say to you, look, we want to call you to be servants. Because he who you would serve is the one who would set you free. We're not saying, hey, come on, man, it's all about freedom. It's all about you doing what you want to do. Or it's all about you doing what, what is the, is real wisdom would show you should do. It's about following Jesus. We're not going to preach a false freedom. We're not wanting to bring you into bondage. We're not wanting to make you our slaves. We're not wanting to do what... Paul says these false teachers are doing, we're not wanting to devour you or take from you or exalt ourselves in your presence. We're definitely not trying to strike you on the cheek. Don't know if that was a literal thing that was going on, that these guys were actually physically abusive, but they were at least insulting. That's not what we're desiring to do. That's not what people who bring the real gospel desire to do. They desire to teach people that Jesus is worthy to be trusted. And so Paul's saying, look, this is a serious situation. And he says in verse 21, again, he's using sarcasm, but he's saying, look, to our shame, I say to you, we were too weak to do those things. Okay, fine, say it's our cowardice. Say we're too pansy, we don't want to be confrontive enough or something, but fine, we're too weak to actually do this, to take advantage of you, to manipulate you. And he says, but you know what? <clears throat> Whatever anyone else is bold, I speak foolishly. I am bold, uh, I am bold, yes. I am bold also. <laughs> I just lost the seriousness in it right there. It's just all gone. It was just really getting, it was building up and now it's gone. <laughs> Maybe we needed that. The reality is, is that Paul is using their technique to reveal his own integrity. Now this is a, actually a, a biblical thing. Listen to what the book of Proverbs says. Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him, but answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. That's not a contradiction. What he's saying is, don't do the foolish thing that the fool does, but use the foolish technique to expose how foolish the fool is being. That's kind of what it means. This is what Paul's doing. The situation has gotten so serious, he feels like he needs to use harsh sarcasm and begin to boast in a way that would, really that he's been saying these false teachers shouldn't do. He's going to boast about himself to say, look, I want you to see how foolishness, how foolish this is. But what's interesting is that when Paul begins to boast about his own credentials, the reality of his ministry, as we've seen before, it's not oh, I have these degrees on the wall, or I've been asked to speak in these different places, or look at what a great uh, eloquent communicator I am. What he brings forth is his own suffering. First, he starts off with this. Listen, he starts off with the pedigree that the false teachers thought was so important. He says, are they Hebrews? Tells us something about these false teachers, probably Judaizers, wanting to say, you need to believe in Jesus and become a Jew if you're really going to be saved. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Now again, Paul's had to deal with this before. In the Philippian church, when there were the same sort of false brethren coming in, 
false teachers who are teaching you need to believe in Jesus and do all, all these things to actually be in a right standing with God. He dealt with his own pedigree, and he talked about what it meant to him. And here I want to quote to you a whole bunch of verses. Try to stay with me and listen to this whole bunch of verses from the New Living Translation because, again, I like the way it flows and the way Paul talks about his own pedigree and what it actually means to him. Listen. Paul writes, Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrews if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Think about that. Paul could say, no Jewish person could say that me as a Jew didn't keep God's law perfectly, at least in an outward sense. I once thought that these things were valuable. What does he say now? But now I consider them worthless. Because why? of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I may gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Paul makes it really clear when he writes to the Philippians, look, I could brag. You guys, false teachers, come in and you brag about the kind of pedigree you have, both uh, ethnically and spiritually. And I could brag and go beyond you. But you know what I think about all that stuff? It's rubbish. It means nothing. Because none of it makes us right with God. The only thing that makes us right with God is faith in Jesus. And so, and so to brag on it is foolishness. But Paul's doing it here, speaking foolishly to show them how foolish they actually are. Paul says in verse 23 of 2 Corinthians, he says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. Now notice what he says he's experienced as a minister of Christ. He says, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure. You guys know what he means by stripes, right? Not like on your sleeve like you're in the military. It means being beaten with a whip so that your, your back opens up and you have these stripes, these lines of scar tissue. He says stripes uh, more uh, above measure. He says in prisons frequently, in deaths often. Talks about five times he was beaten, 40 stripes minus one, the Old Testament law said if you beat somebody, if, you had, if uh, someone was gonna be punished through beating, they, couldn't, they had a max at 40 lashes. And so the Jews thought, oh, we're so merciful, we'll always make sure we keep it at 39. Paul goes, I know that's like experientially. Five times it's happened to me because I preached the gospel. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Again, specifically painful experience, and again, because he preached the gospel. Once I was stoned, that means he wasn't smoking cannabis, obviously. It means that they picked up rocks and chucked them at him. This is what Paul experienced. He experienced these things. Listen, this is the persecution he experienced, the persecution that comes from preaching Jesus, basically. He preached Jesus, and it, it, it cost him this. You know what? And this is exactly what Jesus told him when Jesus first called him, called Paul to follow him. Acts chapter 9. Listen to this. 
This is Jesus, the risen Christ, speaking to Ananias, who's going to go pray for Paul after Paul's had his experiences encounter with Christ. He says, Jesus says to Ananias, Go, for Saul is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul had been one who was causing many Christians to suffer much persecution. And Jesus says, look, Paul, you're going to follow me, and when you follow me, it's going to cost you a lot. You're going to suffer much. Now, please, don't misunderstand. There is nothing in Scripture that would say that Jesus is saying that Paul's suffering is kind of meriting uh, a right standing with him, nor is Paul's suffering punishment for the sins he committed against Christians. That's not what this is about. What this is about is Paul having to be one who's an example of of Christ. I'm going to get more into that in a second. Paul goes in now to talk about the the perils of his missionary travels. Notice what he says in verse uh, verse 25. Three times I was shipwrecked. Now, actually, in his lifetime, the total would be four because what happened in the end of the book of Acts hadn't happened yet when he wrote 2 Corinthians. So four times the dude was in a shipwreck, which puts things in perspective, because if you read, I think it's in Acts chapter 27, when he gets in the shipwreck, Paul seems really chilled out. Don't worry, it'll be fine. You know, been through this before. <laughs> and that was, that was typical when you traveled then. It was typical that, that it was a risky endeavor. It was a big deal to travel. And so Paul said, here's the kinds of things I experienced in my missionary journeys. He said, I was shipwrecked three times. I've been in journeys all the time in perils of water. That's probably a reference to rivers swelling up. A lot of the area where he, he preached the gospel, there was a, uh, several rivers that would swell very quickly. So you have to tr- you cross through them to get there, and it's, it's dangerous stuff. He says, uh, in perils of robbers. There'd be robbers on the roads that would jump on these guys. In perils with my own countrymen. Again, He's a, a Jew who's turned his back on Judaism from their perspective. He hadn't, but from their perspective. And uh, so they persecuted him in perils with Gentiles. They don't like this guy preaching against all other gods but Jesus. In perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Hey, no matter where he went, this guy had peril. He says, notice, in weariness and toil. Now, I've been a missionary now. For many years, that's what I am officially. It's my, my visa says, Minister of Religion. I'm a missionary here in the UK. And, 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 and traveling can be really exhausting, especially when you're traveling as a missionary. We go back maybe every three years or so to the States and shore up our support from our churches. And, and I remember one time I went back, I didn't take the, the family, and I took a brother from the church with me, and we traveled around. And like in four weeks, I think I preached 16 times, and we traveled, I drove uh, 2,500 miles, plus flying back and forth, and you're sleeping on the floor and on air mattresses, and it just gets old fast. But hey, I never was shipwrecked. <laughs> I never got mugged. <laughs> I, 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 to be honest, I never even went hungry. It's one good thing about being supported by America. They feed you like crazy when you go back, you know. <laughs> but the, the thing is, is that Paul, he's going, look, in my journeys, I had weariness and toil. It was exhausting. He says, in sleeplessness often. You get this idea that the sleeplessness could be from the stress of his journeys, but it could just be 
sleeping in horrible places. Have you ever kind of stayed a night at someone's house and it's a new bed and, and just because it's a new bed you don't sleep well? You know what I'm saying? You wake up feeling like such a martyr. My air mattress is just way better than this one. But I mean, Paul was like, you know, in a place where he talks about, you know, being cold and naked. I don't think that means he was completely just born naked, but it definitely means his clothes were so thin and bare because he was broke that he was freezing cold all the time. Can you imagine being cold and miserable and having to sleep on some stone floor somewhere? You'd be sleepless as well. In hunger and thirst often. In fastings often. You notice these things are separated. There's times when there just wasn't food to eat and there's times when he chose not to eat the food. In other words, Paul's just saying, look, the perils of missionary journeys, they made things tough. And don't forget, Paul doesn't want to talk about this. Paul's not wanting to boast about these things, but he's making these things clear for a very important reason. (laughs) He wants to show these guys, look, if you want to boast about something, why don't you boast about suffering for Christ, being willing to lay down your life for his sake in the Gospels? And then he says in verse 28, notice, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily my deep concern for all the churches. He says, who's weak and I'm not weak? Who's made to stumble and I don't burn with indignation? In other words, who's barely hanging on to their faith and I don't put myself in their place in compassion and hurt with them? Who's being stumbled or scandalized by some false teacher or some difficult situation so they're wondering, can I actually trust Jesus? Can I actually keep walking? Where I don't burn by the person who was a hypocrite or I don't get so frustrated and angry because people are ripping off God's people. And Paul's talking about here, listen, the pain of caring for people who are vulnerable. And don't, don't make any mistake, man. If you feel called to ministry, it hurts. It's tempting to harden your heart all the time because it hurts. Because you see people hurting and you feel like, I don't know if I can handle another hurting person. And sometimes you do harden your hearts. It's difficult. And Paul's saying, you want to brag about something? How about this? But this is what Jesus did. What does the Bible say? Notice, (laughs) in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, talking about Jesus, it says, when Jesus saw the multitude, it says he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Do you know what compassion is? Do you know what compassion is? We've all heard the word. We think we know what it is. But compassion is this. It's your pain in my heart. That's compassion. And Paul's saying, this is what I've experienced. This is like the capstone. Okay, you, you false teachers, you guys think you have something to boast about? Let me tell you what it really looks like to be a minister of Christ, what it really looks like to follow Jesus and get the gospel of Jesus out. Here's what it looks like. The reality of my credentials are, I got pedigree that means nothing to me. It means everything to you. He says, I get persecuted. Why? Because I preach Jesus. Unlike you who want to compromise and preach Judaism so that the Judaizers don't persecute you. You preach religion instead. And I'm traveling, I'm going to the lost. What are you doing? You're hanging out corners trying to get them to give you more money. And I, I have to deal with the fact that uh, in my travels I'm broke and it's difficult. And what's bigger than all that is the fact that this grieves me. It breaks my heart that my people who I love, these people that I love, are being ripped off by you. This is what Paul's saying. 
Now, this speaks a lot about Paul, but let's pause for a second and think about what's this got to do with us? Because you might be sitting here today thinking, I'm not an apostle. (laughs) I'm not a missionary. Okay, John, I can see why you think this is important, but what's it got to do with me? You know, the Bible talks about, it uses this word apostle in the New Testament a lot. It talks about, of course, as we know, the 12 apostles, you know, those that Jesus chose and sent out. But you guys, if you know the Gospels, you also know that Jesus chose 70 and sent them out to do ministry. The Bible names the 12 apostles. We saw them, we've seen in the book of Acts how Matthias gets added to the 12th one because, of course, Judas um, hung himself. But the Bible also refers to apostles besides those 12, like Barnabas is called an apostle. There's a place where Apollos is called an apostle. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus himself is called an apostle. Do you know why this word apostle is used all over the place? Because it simply means this, one sent out. In a very real sense, everyone who is a follower of Jesus is an apostle. Because Jesus says to everyone who follows him, go. Go. I'm sending you out. Consider yourself sent. Whatever you do for a living, whatever job God's given you as a Jesus follower, he's put you there because that's your mission field. That doesn't mean you put gospel tracts in people's sandwiches when are not looking, but it does mean you live in such a way that represents Jesus and you pray for opportunities to talk about him. You're sent. In that sense, we are all apostles. And in this sense, listen, the situation is serious because, listen, we live in a day and age where people are more and more hating God, especially in the West, because they lump everyone who believes in God in one pile. So the people who, in the name of their God, do what they did this week in Paris are lumped in with those who are on the God channel who say rubbish stuff in the name of Christianity, who are lumped in with us, who would denounce both those things. The the times are serious. The situation is serious. And guess what that means? That means, listen, if we want credibility, the credibility is not going to come by saying like the false teachers do, look at my pedigree. Look at how good my life is. Look at how wonderful everything happens for me that I follow Jesus. No, the the, the credibility is going to come from, I am willing to suffer for the gospel. I'm willing to experience persecution for preaching Jesus. I'm willing to go even if it's costly and difficult. I'm willing to just endure with the pain of caring for each other. Isn't that what Jesus calls us to? Let's be honest. Isn't that the hardest thing about being in church? Let's be painfully honest. Isn't that why sometimes you guys hate the break between the worship and the word? Because you've got to try to fake it for 20 minutes that you care about each other. Or you have to listen to the Holy Spirit and actually obey and say, I'm going to talk to this person. It's hard, isn't it? It's really hard. And it's really hard, guys, listen, because we serve a God who doesn't just go, sucks for you down there, but became a man and walked on this earth and joined into our suffering and paid for it and destroyed the causes of it so that one day there'll be none left. And guess how that message is to be preached? Through us who follow in his footsteps. 
Look, I'm not saying to pursue suffering. I'm saying this, have, as Peter talks about, a mind that's willing to suffer. Because if, you're, if your whole life is about trying to save yourself pain, trying to do whatever is going to be the easiest for you, guess what? You're never going to rightly represent Christ. It's not going to happen. Now, I'm not saying try to pursue pain. That's not what I'm trying to say. Pain itself, the, it, it doesn't by itself sanctify us. It doesn't by itself make us holy. Please understand that. So if you're thinking, oh, I've got to pursue some painful situation, and then I'll be holy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this. As you pursue God, as you follow Jesus, expect to experience some of the things he experienced. Expect it. If you desire to be a sent one, someone who's going there with the gospel, expect there's going to be some painful things. If you want to love God's people the way God loves his people, expect the pain of having to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those that rejoice because it's tough. Now, what's Paul's motivation for this method? And what I mean by method, I mean by the fact that he would begin to boast about his weaknesses, about his, or his experiences. Well, one, we saw it's a serious of the situation, but notice what he says in verse 30. He says, if I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmities, or my infirmity. Now, you could translate that word infirmity to frailty or weakness. And it's interesting because Paul's saying, okay, look, if I have to be sucked into this boasting game because these false teachers are having so much influence on you, let me boast about how weak I am. You know why he's doing this? Paul boasts about his weakness because, listen, his frailty demonstrates his utter dependency upon Jesus. You know what is is a great testimony to the reality of God? When we suffer and God gets us through it and people go, okay, how did that happen? How did you endure that? Where'd you get that grace from? That's what testifies of Jesus because we can say, oh, we, don't, we can't say it's me. We can say, you know, it's not me. I would walk away. I would quit. I would give up. But God keeps us. I'm just, I have to just trust him. I got nothing else, no one else but him. God keeps us. Paul says, that's what I'm gonna boast on. I want to boast on the fact that, yeah, I might be weak, but I am dependent upon a God who is utterly and always dependable. He also says in verse 31, he talks about, he kind of seems to sort of burst into praise. And Paul did this in his his epistles quite a bit. And he says, you know, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows I'm not lying. He could have just said, God knows I'm not lying. He doesn't do that. He bursts into praise. Why? Because Paul bursts into praise even after experiencing all those things. Let's be honest. If we experience one of the things that Paul mentions in verses 23 to verse 29, we would not be praising if we were honest, at least not right away. Definitely not apart from a work of God's Spirit. But Paul says, I've gone through all these things, and he still has more things to go through, including martyrdom. 
But what does he do? He bursts forth in praise. Why? Because his worship demonstrates his heart is to glorify God. Do you remember, remember, don't forget what glorify means. Really important biblical word. To glorify means to declare the unique value of something. The unique value of something. So like the Proverbs talk about the glory of a young man is his strength. The glory of his old man is his gray hair or no hair. The glory of a young man is his strength. He's young. What's the glory about being young? You're young and you're strong and then you get old and you get weak. <laughs> we, we talk about the, it talks about the glory of a woman is, his hair, uh, is her hair. What it means by that is there's something uniquely beautiful, usually, generically speaking, about a woman's hair. The glory is the unique value of something. So when we talk about glorifying God and Paul wanting to glorify God, Paul doesn't want people to see his unique value. He knows he's just a sinner saved by grace. Paul wants people to see the unique value of Jesus Christ, to glory in him. So that's why he bursts out in praise. Look what happens. He does a similar thing in Romans chapter 11 after talking about some heavy stuff. In Romans 11, he says this, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. He does the same thing in Romans that he's doing here in 2 Corinthians. He can't help but burst out in worship of his God. He wants God's uniqueness to be seen. Guys, let me ask you a question. Forget about wanting people, other people to see God's uniqueness. Do you want to see God's uniqueness? Do you want to see the unique value of Jesus? It's a serious question. I, I, I mean, seriously, do, do we prepare our hearts before we come together in worship? Lord, I want, I want you to be seen and I want to see you. I want to I understand and respond to your unique value, your glory. That's where God wants us to be. He wants us to be in that place. He closes this chapter by saying this, and, and as I'm closing this up, we're going to have the music team to come up. You guys have a, a, a song you can do, a final song? Where's, yeah? Something? <laughs> Just make one up. <laughs> he closes in this final scene about this scenario where when he's in this, this place in Damascus and to be honest, I was going to get into all the technical details of this because it kind of shows the authority of Scripture and the fact that this is a real accurate, or the accuracy of Scripture, it's a real accurate account uh, of who was in charge of Damascus and why it would have been uh, described this way at this very specific time, but it gets a bit boring, so I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Instead, here's what I want to explain to you. Paul talks about the situation where he's let down in a basket through a window in the wall, and he escapes from his hands. Now, we would read that and go, oh, that would have been pretty gnarly, man. He just kind of just got right away. But he knows in sharing this that he's basically, in a sense, bragging about, again, his weakness. He ran away. He didn't really do that as a man in that culture. But he's doing this because what happened is, in in and running away, listening to what God's Spirit was saying through God's people, like, you look, you can't die today, you can't get arrested today, you need to escape because God has a bigger plan for you. He perseveres, demonstrating what? That he is submitted to God's Spirit as God's Spirit speaks through God's people and God's Word. 
and he escapes in weakness. He, he kind of runs away like he's some sort of a prisoner. Do you know why he did that? He is a prisoner. Paul would describe himself later on as the prisoner of the Lord Jesus. Now remember what we saw earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 2? Remember when we talked about this? This fact that there's this military metaphor that Paul uses about Christ coming. He says, again, quoting from the NLT, he says, but thank God he has made us captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ anywhere like a sweet perfume. Do you get that, Paul, saying, praise God we've been captured. <laughs> praise God that we were slaves of the enemy and now we're slaves of Jesus and he's leading us in the triumph because he's king and he rules. Praise God I'm a slave? Praise God I'm a captive? Isn't that counterintuitive? But he says this because he's, again, he's boasting in his weakness. His method is, look, I want people to see I'm completely dependent upon Jesus. I want people to see, I just want to see, I want to glorify God. I want his unique value to be seen. I want people to see that I'm just trying to persevere, submitting to God's spirit. If he wants to take my life, fine. If he wants to use my life, fine. Whatever he wants. That's what I want to do. Guys, this is the biography of an apostle. This is the example that we get from Scripture. I don't know about you, but sometimes, <coughs> though I know that Jesus himself is our example, obviously. The Bible's really clear about that. Sometimes, though, knowing Jesus is my example can be a bit intimidating, because I think, well, okay, but he's God. <laughs> I can't really do that. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know, can that actually be done? Can someone actually follow Jesus, do what he did? But Paul said, Follow me as I follow Christ. Paul said, look, you can use me as an example. You want to see what it looks like for just a sinful human being to, by the power of the Spirit, follow Jesus right here. You want to see what it's like, to, what it looks like for someone who knows that they're broken and knows that they're weak that says, hey, um, I'm going I'm to be sent out by him to share the gospel with others? Look right here. That's what Paul says. So that we can look at what Paul did and say, Lord, do that with me. Do that with me. The situation's serious. The need to suffer to show our credentials is real. And this method's going to bring glory to Jesus. Our hearts should grieve about all the sufferings in the world, not just in Paris, what's happened all over the world. This is a common thing, unfortunately. It's happening more and more, and our hearts should break. But we should be those that say, Lord, if you want that to happen to us, let it only be because you're going to give us the grace to testify of you. Let's follow in those footsteps.